Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Welcome back, everyone, or welcome if this is your first time listening. This is Jim Galliano from jimgalliano.com. And this is the podcast that's dedicated to what I like to call the less moving parts approach to building a digital business, an online business. So if you're a solopreneur, freelancer, or even a small agency owner, you're in the right place. If you want to build and scale a digital business that doesn't suck the life out of you, the tech is in place to do just that today. But technology itself isn't enough. I know people overemphasize what programs they should use, what services they should use, as if, I don't know if they're thinking this way consciously or subconsciously, but by using the best systems or best technology that they'll get the best result. And that's not really a simple two plus two equals four type of equation. There is a human element in play in every business today that's either an asset or a liability to that business. And the fact of the matter is, No one cares about your business, your clients, or your customers as much as you do. And that's why I believe it's so important to build a personal brand. At the very least, to be a face, a visible face, a visible person to your business, representing your business. Put a face to your business. Be the face of your business. Now, from there, we look at things like consistency and reliability. Those two key factors are things that I learned very early on by closely watching those who succeeded and those who failed. Sometimes the difference between success and failure is a matter of degrees. There could be something that's very small that someone is doing that other people aren't doing that is responsible for their success. And it's not really very apparent or very evident upon first glance. You really have to dig deeply And so that's one of the things that I see. If we look at a business and we really break it down and we put it under a microscope, we can see how different parts work and we can see the reality of what's happening. Because if we look at a business just from the outside looking in, it's like an iceberg. We only see the little part that's sticking out of the water. And even though that looks like a big part, beneath the surface, there's a whole lot of things going on. Now, before we go any further, I'd like to give a shout out to my new friends over at whereby.com. With whereby, you can enjoy beautiful, simple video calls. I just started using them a few weeks ago, and I'm so happy. They were, I read so many articles about how they were a great Zoom alternative, and I've discovered that they're exactly that. And also, their technical support. I had a few questions because, you know, just like everybody else, I made a few stupid mistakes early on with my first video calls. But Whereby is just a super simple way to connect over video. If you have any problems, they're very responsive to help out. There aren't any apps or downloads or long meeting links or other things like that that you have to worry about or be concerned that your clients, customers, friends and family, whoever you want to meet with, aren't going to be able to figure out how to use these things, install these things, or know where to click and where not to click. You can even add video calls to your website if you want. They have a new embedded feature that they're making available. If branding is extra important to you, then that's something you'd want to check out. But Whereby is a great Zoom alternative. My friends, clients, and family 
Love the fact that there's nothing, again, to download and install. All I have to do is send them a link, and that's it. So go ahead and check them out at whereby.com, W-H-E-R-E-B-Y.com. Go ahead and get started with their free trial today. Over the years, I've gone from a bigger is better mentality to a smaller but more profitable one mentality based on not theory, but my personal experience in actually having gone through all of this. And I think back to the very beginning, and maybe you can think back to the very beginning of something that you had started in your past. And when you're launching something new, you find that you have what seems to be an extraordinary sometimes amount of energy, creativity, and excitement, and you're investing it into whatever it is that you're building. When you have what seems to be a good idea in front of you, envisioning success doesn't take a whole lot of effort. And if it doesn't take a whole lot of effort seeing yourself successful with whatever plan you're working, whatever project you have, then it's easy to build momentum too. So everything begins to feed everything else in a positive way. If you saw the envisioning part, and it's something that I don't think we actually have to sit down and say, can I see myself successful here or not? It's something that just happens kind of naturally in and of itself. We don't even have to put a lot of thought into it. But the same thing happens in reverse. If we see something as being more difficult or maybe not a good fit for us, even if we're capable of doing it, if it makes us feel uncomfortable, then we naturally tend to shy away from some of those things. So, and we do something different. So I've come to the conclusion that we more or less pursue the path that we envision working for us the easiest. At least that's how we start out. And even if we're not 100% sure of something, we do see the odds more or less in our favor, and that's enough to take action. And when we see the odds in our favor, that's another thing that makes, let's just call it the project, even more attractive. Then... What happens is we have our first encounters with resistance of some kind. And that resistance keeps us from moving forward at the pace that we originally anticipated. And I don't know why it is, but whenever we do something new, we repeat this process over and over again. We don't remember the resistance from the previous experience or for whatever reason, we just assume that okay, we know better this time and that's not going to happen again. And then it happens again. So um, when we're not moving forward at the pace that we originally anticipated, that also can have this ripple effect in a negative way. And that's one of the things about backwards planning, which is something I've talked about several times in previous podcast episodes, that a lot of people, especially those who only practice or, or are aware of forward planning, those people are blind to this. And I'm talking about problems or challenges. When you implement backwards planning, and let me explain how it works quickly if you're not familiar with it, you can see more pitfalls than you can see with forward planning. So backwards planning starts with you having already won. You're already on the mountaintop. You've already put your flag in the peak. And uh, you've already succeeded. So then what happens is, and this is you're planning this out on paper, you're planning it out in your mind, you're visualizing it. You take a step backward and you ask the question, what were the few steps that you took right before you got to that peak? What were the few actions that, that you accomplished before arriving there at the ultimate destination, right before that success? What were they? 
And when you think that out and you plan that out, you begin to write things down. And as you write things down, you see some potential issues that could have happened, a subset of ideas that won't occur to you with forward planning. And when you see that, you begin to plan for those problems more effectively. And this is something that the military has been doing for over 100 years. So this isn't something new. This is something that goes way back. Military, not just the U.S. military, but all of the great military leaders of, of I guess, modern times, maybe, maybe of all time, have pra- practiced a backward type of planning to be able to see pitfalls in their plan and making allowances for certain things, if certain things go wrong, to be able to adjust effectively. So, and you plan like that and you do your best to go all the way back to the starting point. Now, you don't have to make this a long, drawn-out, difficult process. If you just take the first few steps backwards from the moment of achievement, you'll begin to see exactly what it is that I'm talking about. And if you've never done this before, maybe take a little extra time to do it, extra time meaning 10, 15 minutes, and just kind of sketch out what those last few steps would have been. And as you do so, you'll recognize some issues, you'll identify some things. So um, I brought this up before and I'm bringing it up again because if you're a solopreneur, if you're a freelancer or a small uh, digital business owner of any kind, what's going to happen is you're going to personally put a lot of energy into whatever you're building during the early stages. And if you're building the wrong thing, Now, you may be a solopreneur and have the intention of building a big thing. You just don't have the money yet. You don't have the resources to hire out a lot of things, so you're doing everything yourself. But if you're building the wrong thing and you're hearing this advice from someone who spent more than just a few years building the wrong thing, it sometimes takes a while to recover from a setback when you recognize or realize that There is no direct path forward with the thing that you've built. You've kind of hit a wall. There's no way through the wall. And you have to reimagine and reinvent what you're doing. Now, when I say the wrong thing, I'm talking about how whatever it is that you're building or pursuing is affecting your life as an individual. And in the business world, there is a different kind of stress that individuals face that they don't face if they're working for someone else or they're working in in a system. And and one of the things that I realized, and it took me a while to realize this, was some of the advice that I was getting earlier on in my career, I was getting from people who made their living not working for themselves, not building their own business. Maybe they had a little side business, but their main source of income was a big company. And so when I talked to the, it, it wasn't until I talked to the old timers that I realized that and, and I had a multimillionaire tell me this. He was the very first person, to be honest. And he said, Jim, you know, I made my money working for a big corporation. And I'm really not in a place to give you the best advice possible. You need to find somebody who had, you know, made my kind of money but did it on their own. You need to talk to somebody who has a business that's similar to yours. Because even though I can give you some wisdom and general insights, I can't give you maybe the deep kind of insights that you really need or that you're looking for. And the same thing goes today. Where are you getting your advice from? Are you getting it from someone who makes, I don't want to say a living 
selling advice, but do they have the same kind of business that you want to have? And, and you, nothing against those people, but, you know, look at it this way. If you worked for, let's say, a big media company and you had tens of thousands of people consuming your content every day and you step back and say, well, how, how are you making all of this work? The one factor that's so much different between that person and you is they're part of a big company. And so they're part of a marketing system that you don't have access to because you're not in that place. And that person didn't build the system. That person was hired by the company. You follow what I'm saying? So you need to find someone whose back story, if you really want to relate, someone that you can work with and relate to, whether you're hiring somebody as a consultant or you're taking someone's course, if you're really struggling and you really want some detailed advice, you have to seek out the advice of someone whose journey is at least somewhat similar to yours as far as the challenges that that individual has faced. hope that makes sense. So when I was in the paper and ink publishing world, I had a continuous amount of stress and financial pressure over me because I was operating on ever thinning margins. So I was coming along during the um, a certain time where the technology, Amazon hadn't even been invented yet, but um, I think it was in its early days while I was in a place where I was realizing that the, the media, the marketplace wasn't moving in the direction that I'd hoped it would be moving in. And I was in a very real place where um, my dream no longer seemed realistic to me going forward. I had spent years dreaming about being in a certain type of business, having a certain type of business and growing it to a certain point. And then suddenly when I was, I don't know, five or six years into it, the realization that I might have to walk away from that at the time felt like I was basically giving up on everything I had originally planned out for my life. And so not only was the business going away or fading to black, I felt like I was kind of fading to black along with it because I didn't see myself doing anything else. It's kind of like, a, I guess, a star athlete and they injure their knee and they're no longer going to be participating in the sport and they never thought far enough forward about what life would be like not being in that sport. That's what happened in the market that I was in. And what I didn't realize at the time, and I think this is something you want to think about, is sometimes we can be doing the right thing, but we're doing it in the wrong way framework. Sometimes we're doing it in a framework that's about to become obsolete like I was doing, or we're in the wrong market, or we're doing it with the wrong type of business model, but we just don't have the clarity to see that and recognize it at the time. We can feel it. We can feel that something's wrong, and we can push down those feelings of anxiety and stress and worry, but the truth is at that moment, we can't see the forest for the trees. We're just too close to it. In hindsight, this is something that you can identify down the road as you look back with quite a bit of, of clarity. And I almost wish at times that my the current version of me could go back and talk to the version that was around 20 years ago and just give a word of encouragement. Hey, don't worry about it. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're going to discover the right thing. You're just going to have to keep on keeping on. When you're in it, everything just feels overwhelming. And so I've gone through this myself. That's why I'm sharing it with you. And it's very tempting to lament your past blunders, your mistakes, your false starts, and everything else that every entrepreneur faces. And for example, you may be thinking about what you're currently doing 
and what you're currently planning and getting started with. And then the next thing you know, you're being hard on yourself because your mind tells you that, well, you identified this three or four years ago, maybe even longer. You could have been started. You could have been well on your way, but instead you're starting right from point zero right now. But here's how I've come to look at it. Maybe there's a dozen or more choices, some of them quite big that you'll face in your business career. And one or two of them are excellent and they will change everything for you. The rest will fit into the bad category of choices. And having made these already in your past will enable you to identify this poor choice, this poor fit, much easier as you move forward into your future. Whereas an early fast success can put you in a place, and and you don't realize this at the time when you're in it, where you think you know more or you have greater insight than you actually do. And then you go on to make your worst decisions going forward into the future. And if you already have a success in place, you know, you're kind of like the one hit wonder. You put out a hit song, you made it to, I don't know, the top 10 or whatever. You know, the stories from the old days, the one hit wonder songs, the single that went on, everybody was singing that song and everybody knew the words, the lyrics, and the band was famous or the individual was famous. And then that was it. You just never heard from them again. So if you have an early success, it can kind of be like that if you have it too early. Too early meaning that you don't have the wisdom that you believe you have. You don't have the intelligence quite as much as you think you do. And so when you go forward, you make some bad decisions. Now, the great thing about being poor or struggling, the great thing about it, I shouldn't say that. I I should say the, the good thing about being in a position where you don't have a whole lot is that when you make a stupid decision, you don't lose a whole lot either. But if you have an early success, what can happen is you can think that you're smarter than you are and you make some very bad choices later on and it basically destroys what you had built earlier on. So you actually go from being on the mountaintop to being in the valley instead of gradually climbing and gathering the insights, the wisdom, and the understanding to build you know, line upon line, layer upon layer, precept upon precept, until when you get to the top, then you have the wisdom, the understanding, the insights, and the experience to maintain that level of success. I remember hearing that one of the um, big clothing manufacturers' backstory, I don't want to get into it too much, but the person who, who developed this line became world famous and happened at an early age and Then he made some bad decisions, and I guess he lost his company, so he tried to come back with something else and was never able to duplicate that success, and he got so depressed he took his life. The bad decisions that you've already made, even something as common as having procrastinated too long, those can all be seen as positives as long as you know how to identify when you're approaching that bad decision again going forward. Okay, and the time that you spent, is not wasted time as long as you've learned from it. All right, let me shift gears here for a minute. For the past few weeks, I've been thinking more about the first quarter of the new year. I'm talking about January, February, and March. And I've been focusing more or less on email marketing, newsletter marketing. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. So if you think about January, February, and March, unless you're facing a specific threat that's literally knocking at your door, something that's playing out right now. Things like the economy, inflation, COVID, and so on, those are things that are beyond our sphere of control or influence. And giving too much thought or energy to things that are 
beyond your personal control is really a waste of personal energy when you think about the fact that you have a limited amount of energy to work with, just like we have a limited amount of focus, limited amount of money, and so on. So it makes more sense to focus on the things that you do have some control over. So for example, maybe the new year is a good time to focus on something that can build your business. And that's why I wanted to talk a little bit um, for the rest of this podcast using email marketing as an example, because it's something that can transform a lot of businesses. Most of my clients, especially the ones with brick and mortar type businesses, they're all, they've all adopted or they are adopting, most of them anyway, uh, email marketing as one of their primary marketing vehicles, one of their primary marketing methods and something that's central to their overall uh, digital marketing strategy. And this has helped them tremendously over the past few years, especially with the COVID situation and less people going out visiting their brick and mortar locations. The inbox is always going to be one of the very best ways to reach more people and reach them effectively. As a matter of fact, I'd go as far as to say that having a list of subscribers or customers really played a large part in keeping many businesses afloat over the past few years. And I'm just talking about the businesses that I'm personally aware of here in my area. So having your own email system set up, having a little strategy in place there, and doing this, if you haven't already done it during the first quarter of the new year, is a reasonable goal or target. It's something that is within your control. The problem is many solo business owners hear something like this. They agree with it, but for one reason or another, it never gets done. So maybe the best way of putting it would be to say, whatever doesn't become a top priority for you, whatever it is probably won't get completed or put in place or work anytime soon. So if you don't schedule it, it probably won't get done. So for many of you, having a newsletter would be a better approach to email marketing in general. And let me explain why. I think that a topic-based newsletter reports on things like what's new with that topic and generally what's going on. It's news. And if you're interested in that type of thing, then news is always welcome with most people anyway. People like to keep up on what's happening, even if it's just something they're going to skim. It's a lot different than a salesy type approach to newsletter or excuse me, email marketing. So if you're going to build, if you're going to plan out a newsletter, you have to make a few decisions up front. Now, why create a newsletter-based strategy instead of maybe a sales content-based strategy or an affiliate content type of strategy with what you're going to build? I would say that the number one reason is because we're entering 2022. And a lot has changed. People have changed. And in a lot of cases, it's not for the better, especially if you're in sales and marketing. If you want people to open what you're sending, then it's more important than ever to provide value as far as the content goes. And sure, there's a place for things like affiliate links or sales button or whatever. That's really not the issue. The issue is we don't want to send a thinly veiled sales message to buy a product or to join a course or to take some kind of call to action and then call that our newsletter. Let me just give you an example. I subscribe to a few tech newsletters and in each issue, there may be a few comments about how to get more out of a certain type of device. And then maybe there'll be a link where someone can go and get more information. And sometimes that link will be to 
uh, the newsletter sender's own website, and sometimes the link will take you to someone else's website or another company website. Sometimes there will be an Amazon affiliate link taking you to a product. In other words, they mix it up. That's an example of, in my opinion, someone that's doing it right. And even if you don't have, personally, right now, anything to sell at this present moment, starting a newsletter is like starting anything else. The more you do it, the easier it's going to become. And it's always easier to start building a, a subscriber base, an audience today, and then making adjustments as you go than trying to get everything just right before you start building a list of subscribers or people that may have interest, even if it's not today, but tomorrow in what you're doing online with what your business is all about. So taking all of this into consideration and putting it within the context of where we are today, going into a new year, a new quarter, right? Three months in a quarter. Maybe you take the first week of, let's say, 2022, right after the holiday season. People are relaxing, they're unwinding, and maybe you subscribe to four or five newsletters under whatever topics you personally have interest in. Subscribe to them if you haven't already, and then Take a few weeks to make notes on what elements you like and maybe you'd want to have or adopt for your own newsletter. And consider what types of categories or topics you might include. Other things to consider or to take note of are the color schemes or the combinations of visual elements that you find appealing. Are there photos used or are there graphics used? And get kind of an idea of what you might want to do. And this should be enjoyable. If you really don't enjoy this part of it, looking into it, then you probably, this kind of project isn't right for you. And that's okay too. I'm just using this because I know it's an easier way to get started with email marketing for a lot of people. Maybe you're just gonna keep it very simple with mainly text, but you have to get things settled up front. If you give yourself a few weeks to do a little bit of research, you'll be entering into the last half of January, right? The midway point, the last half of January, uh, and then you'll be ready to take the next step. What would be the next step at that point? Well, you can begin compiling your content if you wanted to, content ideas. You could write out a few or sketch it out. Um, or maybe you can decide what tech stack you're going to use or what that part would be look like. would look like. I guess both. You could do both, right? You could do two things. You can think about your content and you can kind of consider what type of the, what the tech might look like. I'm going to talk a little bit about that too, because over the years, I've tested out more email marketing platforms than I can count, including having my own mail server uh, that I share with a friend. And according to my server stats, I looked them up last night. Now, remember, this is from 2002 all the way to now. So this isn't just in the last year. But since getting started with email marketing, I've sent out just from this system 1,451,344,829 emails, both for myself, but mainly for my clients. And I'm not saying, I was going to say, I'm not going to say this to brag, but really that's not true. I am super proud of having done that much marketing in this area and having so many clients. And one of the things that made it easy for me at the time was what I was had one of the first email marketing services, autoresponder services, because we're talking about 2002 now. 
So, but that said, I've backed off of email marketing for my own business in recent years more so than in the past. I very seldom send out emails, and that's true for the last several years. And why, you might ask? Well, the truth is, I wanted to take a break. I wanted to do less, not more, over the past several years. And I wanted to take the time to try out new things, to experiment with different avenues of creativity. And after being in marketing for so many years, I basically knew what to expect when it came to email marketing. So the mechanics of it anyway. So I wanted to focus more on ideas that tapped into more of the creative side of strategy and marketing. So, uh, but emails are technically different from email marketing I'm talking about. Those are technically different from what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about newsletters. It's a different approach maybe to getting to the same destination. I would say that it's also less aggressive than what most people consider to be typical email marketing. So what does the technical side look like? What would your tech stack look like? And I think it really depends on what you're comfortable with. If you're just getting started, I don't suggest setting up your own self-hosted system yet, unless you really feel comfortable doing things like that. Now, recently, I read an article talking about the 10 best services that are out there for sending email newsletters. It was on a site called seedprod.com, and it was called the 10 best newsletter services in 2021. So I decided to just briefly go through it, and I found some interesting pieces here. Let me just share some of this with you. There were a few things they were talking about here that stood out to me. Okay, number one was ease of use. That went into their rating system. Number two was automation features. Number three was different industries. And what they meant by that was that some email services that are out there are already geared towards specific industries. For example, Keep is aimed at marketing and sales while ConvertKit is best for publishers. And even if... In their top 10, none of those things are targeted towards your specific industry. It is interesting how they set this up based on a lot of different things. Overall price, of course, being one of them in there too. So uh, what they, and here's the order in which they named their top 10. Number one is constant contact. And they said that constant contact was basically the best overall for ease of use, having a lot of templates if you're going to put a newsletter together price and a few other factors. One of my clients of many years has used constant contact for her nonprofit organization here in Florida. And whether she's using it herself or people that are part of her team, everybody say they find it very easy to use. Now, coming from an internet marketing background, that would have been all the way at the bottom, which is why I wanted to share some of this information for you because different people look at these systems from different angles. I look at this from both a technical standpoint and from a background being in internet marketing. But Constant Contact was given their number one choice for everything all around. It costs, let's see, the plans start at $20 per month and they do have a 60-day free trial and you don't have to give your credit card during that time so you can check them out. Number two was Send in Blue. Send in Blue is a system that I recently began testing myself and I'm very happy with it, as are a few of my clients that I shared the Send in Blue information, made a few video recordings of how it was set up on the back end. They have a great little system. 
I don't know how to describe it. Let me see what would be the easiest way to put it. They have a lot of the marketing elements in place, like automation workflows and A-B split testing, and as well as transactional emails. And you can also send your emails via text messages. It's pretty easy to do. And they have a very good support system in place. Their plans start at $23 a month. Number three they listed was HubSpot. I never really connected with the HubSpot platform in general. I think they do excellent work and they have an excellent blog if you're interested in reading about marketing information. They let you send, I think, about 2,000 emails, if I remember correctly, per month for free without putting a credit card in there. But when you jump to their play, their paid plans, I believe it starts at $45 to $50 a month. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it was the UI or what it was about HubSpot, I never really followed through with it like... Maybe the person that wrote this article did. But I do know some very large companies that use HubSpot. So from that perspective, I'm sure they're doing a great job with their email marketing. It's just, it wasn't for me. Number four, Drip. A few of my friends use Drip, and they say that it has the best email automation around in general. So whether you're a blogger or an e-commerce site owner or just a, a solopreneur type marketer, Everything works well with Drip, according to them. I haven't tried this myself. The I believe the plan the plans are 100 or fewer subscribers are free, and then the other plans start at about $49 a month. ConvertKit was listed as number five. They also have a 14-day trial. Their plans start at $29 per month. AWeber, which has been around forever, some of the largest longest, I should say, as far as age-wise that have been around newsletters are delivered with AWeber. I know one woman, I was just reading about her journey yesterday in the online world over the past almost 20 years. She's been using AWeber and she's got like 47,000 members on uh, on her list. But their plans start at $19 a month. MailChimp is number seven. A lot of people just don't like MailChimp. And there's a few reasons why. They are expensive if you decide to compare uh, apples to apples when we're talking about these different services. They are very, at least in the beginning or the early years, I set up a lot of my local brick and mortar uh, business clients on MailChimp simply because it was so easy with all of the integrations they had to avoid the technical side of things. They had really nice drag and drop templates. If you started using MailChimp like three or five years ago, the base plan that you had is much better than the base plan you'll have if you sign up today. I'm used to using MailChimp and helping clients use MailChimp, and my clients aren't using autoresponders who use MailChimp. They're just simply sending out a newsletter for their brick-and-mortar business. So I really can't knock MailChimp, but would I use it for my own business? No. <laughs> All right, number eight is GetResponse. GetResponse is one of the uh, other services that has been around for probably 20 years at this point. And they also have A-B testing landing pages. They are probably one of the more cost-effective services that you can go with. Their plans start at $15 a month. Next is MailerLite. MailerLite is a great service all the way around. I had some difficulties getting everything set up initially, but once that happened, I, it was kind of smooth sailing after that. 
And I really did enjoy uh, using MailerLite. I haven't used it in a while now, but uh, you can start for free with a list of up to a thousand different clients. Their paid plans, I believe, start at $10 a month. Some of my friends really love MailerLite, and MailerLite is the one service out of all of these that I mentioned so far that if I wanted to make sure that whoever I was going to recommend the service to would like it, I would recommend them all the way at the top simply because I know that the deliverability is good, the UI is is decent, you don't have to worry about getting lost in, in overwhelm like you do with some of the other services, and uh, and again, a lot of my friends use it. And finally, Keep which is the last one. Many of you may not be familiar with the name Keep, but you may be familiar with Infusionsoft. So Keep is basically a rebranded, as far as I understand it, version of Infusionsoft. And Keep does a lot of things. Their light plan, however, starts at $79 a month and goes up from there. The most popular plan, according to their website, is $169 a month includes up to 500 contacts so it is a little bit pricey but if you're going to use all of the features like for example they have a CRM their email marketing system landing pages and they do quite a bit in one system it is of course more complex you get what you pay for I guess it comes back to but if you're going to keep things simple I probably wouldn't recommend keep as being one of your top choices at least if you're just getting started I think if I could only recommend one that would tick all the boxes for the average person, I would have to say MailerLite is probably one of the better options that you can go with. One of the things about email marketing in general is that the systems are becoming increasingly complex as time goes on. And for example, if you're doing something like e-commerce where you have a shopping cart system set up with you're uh, integrated in there with a sales transaction and email marketing. Basically, all of these different elements have to connect with one another. So you may have an email sequence that goes out for people that abandon a cart and a follow-up sequence for people that abandon a certain item, leave it in their cart without making the transaction. And I mean, it can just get very, the, the minutia can be overwhelming to some people. But if you don't have an e-commerce type business, if you're doing something that is more straightforward with maybe just a handful of products instead of dozens or or even hundreds, then you have to ask yourself, is it worth over-purchasing something as far as purchasing goes to have all of these bells and whistles? Are you really going to use them or not? I know for myself, I tend to over-purchase and it's something that I've learned how to slowly get away from as I've been always trying to focus on what would be the simple, most effective way to get started with something. And then, of course, you can always scale upwards from there if you find that the simple type of solution that you've purchased isn't enough. So I'm guessing that's going to take the average person a week or two to weigh in on the pros and cons of all the various platforms and the options that come with these platforms. This, again, is something that you have to give yourself a deadline for because if not, you can just be lost in the weeds with all of the many, many options out there today. The great thing about email is is that you can export all of your contacts and move them to another platform if you're not happy with your initial choice. So, okay, so let's give two weeks for that. So on our timeline right now that we've been talking about, we're closing out of January of 2020. 22, and we still haven't even sent out our first message yet. Now, that should put things in a 
maybe a little bit of a different type of perspective. Everything that I've told you so far could be done in a week if you're super focused. I'm talking about the planning part. Putting together your first issue may take a little bit longer. For example, you have to decide on things like the length of the issue, what material you're going to use, what material maybe you'll hold back for another issue, what type of content or categories are best to include in your newsletter. And maybe you want a special graphic design for the newsletter, like the masthead, you know, that part at the top where it says what the newsletter name is or has a logo or something like that. You might want to do something like that. So that might take, especially if you're not a graphic designer, you may want to find some examples of designs that you do like and then contact someone on a platform like Upwork.com or even Fiverr.com. So if you want to do something like that, then you add another week to the project, maybe even a little longer, depending on how much work the designer has on their plate. So that would put us, if we did all of those little things, one solid week into February, and this is for the average person. So, you know, there is a saying that excessive planning is just another form of procrastination. I've done that before. I'm sure you have. But it is definitely something to keep in mind as you go through a process like this. Now, I just decided to use email newsletter marketing as an example for a few reasons why. One is because I'm personally considering doing this myself as we head into the new year. I haven't 100% pulled the trigger on it yet as far as my planning goes, but I'm about 90% there. I even have a general working title for this new newsletter. So if there's one thing that you're going to have to master when it comes to whether or not email newsletters have a future in your business, it's this. It's how difficult it will be for you to compile the information that you're going to need to put a complete issue together. The first time probably is going to be the hardest. It's important, however, that you develop a system that works for you, that enables you to do this fairly quickly and fairly easily. Because if you can't do it quickly or you can't do it easily, and again, maybe the first few times it takes longer, that's natural. But if you can't do it quickly and easily when you're on issue 10 or 20, then this isn't going to be something that's going to be a long term for you if you find yourself in that place. Now, there's a program that just came to mind. It's called OneNote, Another is Evernote. You can use a tool like this so that or tools like these. There's so many of them. If you find an interesting tidbit that you want to use for a future newsletter issue, you can gather all of the information together, keep it in one spot, and be able to do it quickly. I know some people who do that. If you need to uh, retrieve the information, you know where everything is, images, links, all of that. There are browser extensions that you can get, different types of software that you can use to just compile information as you maybe jump from one site or one article to another. You're examining different images and you put all of this together. It is a project. You just don't want it to become an overwhelming project because if it's overwhelming and it doesn't become easy, we only stick with the things that, for the most part, become easy to us, especially when it comes to something like marketing, unless you're a marketing pro and that's what you do. So there's also new services popping up all the time that have features that are built right into the service, including designing the email, sending them out, compiling all of the information you need for future issues. 
I've looked into some of these services, the one-stop shop that does everything you'll need to have a pro newsletter put together. And the one thing I find that's disappointing about all of these services, maybe there's one out there that I haven't discovered yet, but all of the designs and the layouts kind of sort of look the same. In other words, you can tell you're using that service when you send out a newsletter. The ability to brand it is very limited. And, you know, when it comes to things like graphics, a few, when used correctly, a few graphics, a few design elements and a clean layout can go a really long way towards separating what you have from what everyone else has and what everyone else is doing. You know, you can even set up a separate WordPress site if you wanted to go this route and host your newsletter on it if you're serious about moving forward with it. So if you did take that route, your posts and your newsletter content would basically be one and the same thing. I know just mentioning WordPress and, and self-hosting, that aspect of it is kind of opening another can of worms. But you know, some of you are already comfortable with WordPress. Some of my clients use a WordPress plugin called MailPoet. And it's easy for them to design as well as deliver their uh, emails and their newsletters. They do it right inside WordPress and they really like it. I don't recommend doing this on shared hosting, but you can get away with it if the, you have it on a well-managed server. For something like this, if you were going to go that route, I would recommend a VPS server with Cloudways. I would recommend that for any type of self-hosted, if you're going in that direction, I use several self-hosted scripts myself, and again, it's something that I've been doing and testing, and it would even, it doesn't even, for me, email marketing isn't something that's just part of my business. It's also sort of a hobby, something that I've kept up on from the early days of email marketing. I always like to try new things. I just find it, I don't know, maybe I'm strange, but I find it kind of enjoyable working with the different design tools, the different layout tools, and the different delivery systems. But uh, if, if you were going to do something like that and you do have experience, a little of experience on the technical side, I'd recommend a VPS server with Cloudways. You can get started with DigitalOcean for as low as only $10 a month. And as far as the design and the layout goes, a simple blog layout would do fine if you wanted to connect your newsletter to a WordPress-based site. Remember, we're talking about a newsletter site. You know, it, ha it can be very simple because it's all about the content. Another option to get started quickly is you use a template or design that was built for a podcast and then you just simply repurpose it for a newsletter because what podcasts and newsletters have in common is they all have their, you know, little standalone issues or shows. If you, it's a podcast, you're going to call it a show. They're standalone pieces of content. They're numbered usually, you know, we'd call Maybe episode one of a podcast, issue one, if it, we used it as a newsletter. You, you can see where I'm going with this. So if you're comfortable or have experience building websites, then this is something that, yeah, maybe you'd look into it if you wanted to do that. Building a website quickly isn't something the average person can do, however. It isn't something the average person is going to want to take on. But keep in mind, when we're talking about this, we're back into uh, DIY, do-it-yourself territory here. And we can easily tack on another three or four weeks here to get this part in place, at least to your satisfaction. And that pushes us into March. You can see why progress 
seems to come at a snail's pace at times because we have so many options to choose from, so many things to consider, and if we're not settled on our choice, then instead of just making something and forgetting about it and moving forward and thinking, okay, we'll change it down the line, a lot of times, especially more technical people, they want to get everything as set in stone as they can the first time because they don't want to have to go back and do it again. Unfortunately, then procrastination, if that if an element of procrastination creeps into something where you already have a lot of choices, which is kind of the norm, then something that shouldn't take two or three days to do of focused work can easily become two to three weeks because you're only working in small bits and chunks of focused time. You're continuously distracted. You have to balance doing this versus your other responsibilities that are part of your everyday business, part of your everyday life. I've test driven just about every option that I can think of, including software that's used to design responsive email design layouts. And this software can be used with just about any of the services out there that allow you to import your own HTML designs. But before we go any further, let's rewind the tape just for a minute and revisit week number one and week number two of our project. The most important thing is being able to see yourself doing this going forward six months. And I would say, like most things today, commit yourself to this kind of a, whether we want to call it a marketing system or marketing strategy or a little bit of both. If you can't commit to it for a year, then you're probably not going to get a true insight into whether or not this is a truly viable option, a workable thing that you're going to have in your business going forward. A year will give you enough time to find your own style, your own processes, your own rhythm. Every choice that you make from the design and style of the newsletter to the tech stack that you use to the categories that you decide to include inside that newsletter has its own set of pros and cons. That's how it will seem, at least anyway. That's normal, and I would say expect that to happen. Having said all that, if you can get to an 85% satisfaction level, with the project overall, I'd say that's pretty good. I can't tell you how many projects I've launched, and this will be no exception, where on the at the launch day, I feel like there's something missing. I'm not really sure if it's ready for prime time yet. And that includes this podcast. When I started this podcast, was I 100% happy with, with the very first broadcast of it or the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth? No, I always think about things that I could have changed or tweaked or added or said differently or said better or presented in a more articulate way, but I didn't. And if I went back and I re-recorded everything and I wanted to really strive to be a perfectionist, it would take me so long to do it that it just wouldn't get done. So if you can get 85% satisfaction with what you're doing and how each step of the way is going, then just go ahead and launch it. Get it out there. Make improvements as you go. Uh, don't wait because you can easily push what I've given as a three-month project here for the average person out six months or more. I've seen it happen, and when something gets out to six months or more, there's also a high percentage that that project will get abandoned only to be picked up later on, way further on down the line. I've, I've seen it happen with others, it's happened to me on some of my own projects. So that's just, just the reality that we all deal with. 
For those of you who enjoy writing and blogging or doing that already, you could always have your newsletter be an extension of all of that material that you're putting out there. Or the newsletter can be focused on kind of reading between the lines, maybe some of the information or insights that you didn't cover in the blog post or uh, that you didn't cover in some other form. Just remember, you're not limited to the content that you personally create. There's a lot of content out there that you can pull from, that you can link to, that you can mention. All right, I think that's about all for today. This is just one of those topics that I could go on several hours with. Even though I've only talked about this maybe a few times during the history of this podcast, believe it or not, it happens to be one of my all-time favorite topics when it comes to marketing. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you think it will help a friend, please do go ahead and share the episode link with them or send them to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. As always, if the solopreneur style business appeals to you and you want to grow and scale your own brand, go ahead if you haven't already, visit my main website at jimgalliano.com and subscribe there and start learning how to remove some of the layers of complexity from your own business that are unnecessary and unproductive in favor of a more manageable, easier to scale business model that will serve you much better for years to come. Thanks again for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you later.